All right, fun stuff, Paul. Yeah, Paul, where are you? Where have you gone? He actually walked off. See, you, you've never actually walked off during the sports coverage. This is true. Paul has really upped the ante here. He's just, like, disappeared. <laughs> he has. He, he's laid down the gauntlet, hasn't he? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that walking away was an option, but now I know. <laughs> no, but it clearly is, yeah. <laughs> I can look forward to lot, lots more walkouts in the, in the time to come, yeah. It's Friday, April 3rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Quarantine Person at Home, and with me today are Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor, Dutch News and Quarantine Person on the Beach, and Molly Quell, Contributing Editor, Dutch News and Quarantine Person at the International Court of Justice. Why did Gordon get the better deal? Why is he on the beach? The rest of us are suffering. I'm I'm very jealous. Yeah, me uh, too. I, I don't know. I, the, the, say. I, I just had was had the wisdom to buy a house near the beach. So you know, <laughs> that, that, it's that straightforward. You should have thought about this in anticipation of a global pandemic. Exactly. I should have thought about yeah. where I purchased my house. I'm not. You know, in the same way that the Italians should have, you know, um, made sure they didn't uh, they had enough debt reserves to to provide for a pandemic. You should have bought a house near the beach. So it's I got true. Sympathy. There is a moral hazard in a, in not in not. Allowing me access to someplace else now. So, Gordon, how is the beach? Can you explain it to us? Because we are missing it. Yes. Uh, well, it's just a sort of big, wide thing with lots of sand, and at the end of it, you have this water that kind of comes in and goes out. Um, it's, it's, it's quite pretty. It's quite soothing. You should definitely check it out once you get out of quarantine in, I don't know, October or somewhere. But then, of course... Uh, it won't be summer anymore. But I'll keep posting updates, although it looks as if The Hague might be closing some beaches this weekend because a lot of other people have had the same idea. Yeah, I think they are only closing the, the beaches for the weekend, right? For the rest of the week, uh, you're still fine. I don't think it's all the beaches. I think it's mainly just the ones up at Schaeveningen which get crowded. Because where I live, it's quite, it's always quite quiet down at the beach, especially now that the cafe's not open. And they're so mostly think, worried think... about uh, Germans and Belgians, right? Belgians, right? It's not really the Dutch that they're so concerned about. Exactly, it's especially the Belgians. So. Yeah, Belgians. Well, a, a a pending invasion of Germans uh, at the beginning of May that that really brings back memories, I have to say. Yeah, that that does kind of cause flashbacks, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I can understand. Yeah. So Molly, how uh, how are things at the International Court of Justice? Um. Uh, bad shit's crazy. Bad shit crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, my has, has a court basically just moved into your house now. It's basically it moved like. into my house. Yeah, <laughs> some courts have chosen to close, um, but some courts are still, of course, issuing decisions because they had hearings before, and you know they can write the decisions and stuff remotely. And uh, most courts that are still doing that have not done anything totally dramatic with their schedules. They're just sort of putting things out as they were scheduled, but the lovely international court of justice the the european court of justice not the international court of justice in luxembourg has um lovingly decided to just issue all of their decisions on thursdays which means you just sort of have to get up at six o'clock in the morning on thursday and i think i finally got done working at like eleven thirty last night because you just that you only get the information on thursday so you just have to do it all then so um Thursdays suck and apparently are just going to continue to suck for the foreseeable mm. future because this is their schedule for the whole uh, COVID-19 crisis plan. So RIP my life on Thursdays. Um, <laughs> yeah. And on Fridays. Yeah. And on Fridays because you do the podcast. Well, Fridays, and- I mean, at least I was used to, at least for three years, <laughs> I've been used to my Fridays being terrible because we've been doing the podcast for that long. But like... <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, but we are now recording on a very uh, ungodly hour. Yes. Um, yes. Usually we record at uh, 10 o'clock or something. Yeah. And now it's yeah, 7 some of the bright idea to get up at it's 7. It's way too early for this, but still. Though I, yeah. I kind of personally like the earlier hour, so I'm going to, I think, advocate <laughs> for this in the f- going forward. So we'll, we'll see if I win. You're going to get overruled, I think. Because, I mean, I usually get up half past six, and this is a disaster. So it, it's, I mean, I'm usually up at five forty-five, six anyway. So for me, this isn't really that big of a deal. Uh, it's Gordon with his kids that's really screwing up our recording schedule. You know? No, improving it. So He's improving you, our recording schedule. We'll be done by nine o'clock, and we'll be, you know, ready to crack open the wine at four. Yeah, so that's what I want. But the last couple of weeks, it's been a problem because I don't know. You have to like feed your kids lunch or something. Like, yeah, you know, you should have thought about this before you started a podcast. And so, uh, how is it at home, Paul? Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's uh, it's it's all the same basically. Um, I am uh, currently graduating, so I'm uh, I'm just reading a lot of scientific papers and a lot of books and stuff like that, which I can all read from home because everything is online uh, nowadays. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel a little bit isolated and a little bit locked down. But I guess that's the point of this. Uh, intelligent lockdown, as Mark Rutte calls it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, still, I I would have preferred to um, to leave the house whenever I wanted to. But uh, but yeah, I th- I think uh, um, I, I don't get used to it. That's uh, I sort of hoped that at uh, at the start of all this that I I would get used to, to it to this. But no, I don't. I um, it's not that I'm depressed, but it's 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 just not fun. I just want to go outside basically whenever I want. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's kind of. I, I sort of thought that I would be quite used to it because I, I never go out anyway. But I actually found it quite a shock because just having the kids at home in the daytime when I have tend to have the time clear to get work done, um, uh, really knocked out my schedule. So yeah, it, it's it, 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 it's 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 tough in in expected and unexpected ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. I mean, and you guys aren't having this experience because, of course, you are gloriously unpartnered. Um, But now I am spending 24 hours a day with my partner who, while I love, like, it just gets on your nerves after a while. Um, And we were, were in a WhatsApp group with some other friends of ours and one of the couples... The girl was saying yesterday that she has decided that her partner's facial expressions are very annoying. And I was like, yeah, that's what happens when you've been locked up together for three weeks. (laughs) And even though for the most part, it's not uh, uh, so much uh, different uh, than my usual days. I mean, I would have been in the library anyway, so I would have been staying inside all day anyway, despite this lockdown or not. But even despite that, you feel locked away because you're not yeah. allowed to go outside or at least you're encouraged not to go outside so um yeah uh, even though it's not 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 that different than 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 it would have been normally it still feels uh different yeah and there's a bit of stress i think i'm finding too when i when we go out of course we have a truby so we have to go out and walk the dog um and if i happen to go outside for something that's not dog related even though you know journalists are considered an essential profession and i've had to go out to do some work stuff over the past couple of weeks um i'm just a little nervous that people are sort of looking at you like why are you outside what are you supposed to be doing and the other day i actually had to go take photos of something and so i took the dog with me rather than like run confront angry people yeah because i felt like well if people see me out with the dog they're just going to assume i'm walking the dog which like is crazy (laughs) because there's not you know we have this intelligent lockdown it's not like a full force sort of you need a permission slip lockdown and even if we did i mean like journalists are considered essential professions i was going out for a work thing like it was Mm. like a legitimate 
thing. And yet still I was feeling this anxiety about, you know, sort of like being out. So I think that that's starting to get really exhausting for me. Yeah, I guess we have an intelligent lockdown, but not everybody's on board with the intelligent part of it. I think that's the yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, well, and it tends to go in two directions, right? You have unintelligent people, like those who are, we are worried about descending on the beach this weekend, but you also have, like, this sort of favorite Dutch national pastime of policing other people's behavior. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm, like, worried yeah. that someone is going to call the snitch line on me, or worse, <laughs> like, sort of stop you in the street and kind of, like, question what you're doing. Well, as long as they keep a one and a half meter distance, uh, they're Yeah, as long as they that. keep a one and a half meter yeah. distance yeah in fact you should just get Tweeby to carry a one and a half meter long stick at all times so you can keep people away <laughs> from you well it is he does love to bring <laughs> home like sticks on his walks and by my definition of a of of a tree branch is his definition of a stick and so he often is carrying these extremely wide like sticks in his mouth which i do feel is useful for enforcing social distancing rules yeah. so paul we have some opf and i'm so excited because there, this has been sort of a two-part OPEF, and last week you sort of avoided doing this as the OPEF, <laughs> but th- it's gotten so opef you can yeah, no longer we, avoid it. It has, the OPEF has escalated massively yeah. in the last week because it's all gone on national television, as you'll tell us. Indeed, yeah. we, we can no longer <laughs> ignore it. No. Um, so naturally, this week's OPEF is, of course, also corona-related, and this time it was caused by Dutch social media platform Rumach. Um, the platform posts funny and edgy quotes on their social media pages on Instagram and Facebook, where they have millions of followers. However, Rumach does not come up with their quotes themselves, but rather they take viral tweets, translate them to Dutch, and replace the spaces with their characteristic dots before they post them online. Their plagiarism has been criticized by many, especially one Instagram account in particular. It's called Rumach niet stelen, which is a wordplay to... Um, it, it basically translates to Rumach... Uh, should not be allowed to steal and they yeah. repost uh, the Rumach quotes accompanied by a screenshot of the original sources so uh, you see one quote of them and then a quote of um, a screenshot of a tweet uh, from two years ago or something um, the op have started however when Rumach uh, decided to sell special charity t-shirts in their web shop uh, two weeks ago the t-shirts um, were for sale for 25 euros and they said uh, 10 euros of that would be donated to the red cross for their work in uh, tackling the coronavirus um, one person on twitter however uh, his name is taris Thijs. he noticed that a uh, normal shirt uh, which also costs 25 euros would be shipped for free but uh, a donation shirt an additional shipping fee of seven euros had to be paid Given that it's unlikely the real shipping cost would be seven euros, um, this person uh, on Twitter concluded that Rumach would financially benefit from selling uh, these so-called charity shirts. Uh, this scheme was first picked up by uh, business magazine Quote and on Sunday by late news comedy show Zondag met Lubach, which led to Rumach promising they uh, would donate all the money they were earning from the t-shirts to the Red Cross, uh, while losing hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and Facebook. And was it there some inception off about this whereby Zondag Melubak did not clearly credit the fact that this one guy on Twitter was the one who discovered it first <laughs> yes indeed um, so in their broadcast they uh, they started to sell uh, their own t-shirts um, Lubach, Zondag Melubak did them. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's what Zondag Melubak did and, um, and they also used uh, a lot of information which was uncovered by this person on Twitter and they, they initially uh, gave um, a, 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 you know they put 
very tiny in that screen our source is Taris Thijs but it's really tiny you couldn't notice it mm. uh, if you weren't looking for it um, so this person said on Twitter uh, it's kind of ironic that uh, Sonnacht met Lubach is now doing a uh, Rumachje uh, as it was called. And then one of the writers of that show responded and they said, no, we were on this for weeks now and we um, uh, we, we came up with this entirely on their own, on our own. Right. But, um, yeah, which doesn't explain why they were still sourcing this person as yeah. one of their sources. So there was a little bit of a meta ophef, uh, as we call it. <laughs> but um, yeah, in the end, uh, our main goal has been accomplished and that is exposing uh, Rumach as the cheaters and the stealers, uh, which they are. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, the, so, so the bottom line is that Rumok got blown out here, which is uh, good news for you, Paul, because uh, I, I, I know has, how, what a big fan of theirs uh, you were uh, for, all these, <laughs> for all this time. What I'm really impressed by, though, is that this is the first time we've had Rumok Opeth on the podcast, I think. <clears throat> It, yeah, yes, I it think is. so too. Yeah. Which how has that happened? We've been doing this podcast for three <laughs> years, and this is the first time Rumach has caused enough alpaf to make it on the podcast. Because until now, I have been able to avoid. Uh, <laughs> you've, been, yeah. you've been deliberately suppressing website. Rumach. I've got to say, I wasn't that aware of the whole um, Rumach controversy, but um, and, and until this blew up like last week. But I've got to say, I, I possibly very, because you're not an 18 year old girl. That <laughs> could be. That could well be why. But I've got to say, I was very pleased to see that um, a company that commits such uh, flagrant crimes against punctuation has been. Brought down i was really pleased with that <laughs> oh that's that's what you're gonna have beef with them on absolutely and also because their founder was on television and he was wearing a beanie hat in the studio and yeah that, very that, awful I, at that point i lost what little sympathy i already had so. and they they basically acknowledged that they were stealing all these quotes but they said we are we are we are operating within the rules of the internet and basic and, and apparently the rules of the internet allow for plagiarism which basically was that they made up right yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed. What is that um, Eddie Izzard skit where it's like, well, that's according <laughs> to the rules that I've just made up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what they. Uh, that's basically what they were saying. Yeah. But still, they have millions of followers, so yeah, it could have been better. I have to admit. It's a start, Paul. It's it's it's, it's like Mark. It's, it's a like start. Mark just yeah. said. It's, this is just the beginning of the beginning, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Such a Johan but- Kraufism, man. This week, uh, the news was again dominated by the coronavirus. Uh, We update you on the latest statistics and the new measures announced by the cabinet. We will also tell you why everyone in the EU hates Mark Rutte, and it's not because of his dancing skills, and why you will see so many bears if you go outside. We also managed to find two non-corona-related news items, so you can have something to look forward to. We had to work pretty hard to find those. Special measures to stop the spread of the coronavirus in the Netherlands will be extended until at least April 28th, Prime Minister Mark Rutte has told a press conference on Tuesday. This means cafes, restaurants, museums and schools will remain shut for the next four weeks. Additionally, the maximum group size in public has been reduced to three and people should keep a minimum distance of one and a half meter. Offenders can be fined by 400 euros. The decision has been taken on the basis of expert advice, the Prime Minister said. We realize we are asking a lot of people but it's really necessary Uh, the capacity in hospitals and intensive care units leaves us with no other choice he said 
The good news is that we don't have to bring in extra measures. Measures currently in effect in the Netherlands mean that schools will be closed until May 3rd because the May uh, school holidays start on April 25th. Parents considering booking a holiday during the Easter or May break should not do so, the Prime Minister said. There's a very real chance that we will have to extend the measures past April 28th. Uh, we don't want people to travel all over the country and after April 28th we certainly won't be back the way we were. All organized events and gatherings which require special permits, such as festivals, are cancelled until at least June 1st. And there's been more measures announced uh, later in the week as well, haven't there? Uh, yes, after the weekly ministerial corona meeting on Thursday, Prime Minister Mark Rutte announced that people who return from uh, corona-infected areas, such as uh, New York City and Northern Italy, will be asked to remain home for two weeks after their arrival. This comes after MPs raised concerns about flights coming in from New York in a debate on Wednesday in the Tweede Kamer. Rutte said he would have preferred to do extensive checks on people coming in from the US, but this is technically not uh, possible for now. Furthermore, he urged people to stay at home the coming weekend. Many beaches, forests and recreational areas will be closed. And he repeated the message in German and in French as well. Yeah, which is an amusing moment. Directed at those those damn Belgians. Yes, uh, just keep the Germans away from the... Keep the Germans off the beaches, which is uh, yeah, a, a recurring theme here. So when the cabinet said you would be fined if you did not keep enough distance, Paul, they were not, uh, they were not joking. No, because the police uh, said that they have been fining 250 people for breaking rules on social distancing uh, until now. Most of the fines, which can mount up to 400 euros per person, were issued to groups who were not keeping the regulation uh, one and a half meters apart. Some of the fines were issued after concerned locals alerted the police. And there are several apps and other local initiatives being set up to report illegal groups, according to the NOS. Man, Dutch people just really love to snitch on each other. Yes. I've got to uh, say, though, I mean, in a country of 17 million people, 250 fines, you know, where, like you say, everyone is snitching on each other in WhatsApp groups. That doesn't sound so bad. Well, compare the compare it to this. The number the first week that that France had their lockdown measures, now, the population hmm. obviously is bigger in France. Let's be clear, but they issued seventy thousand fines, really, yeah. which is insane compared to this. But where is? So... I mean, so the number would be higher because the stat, the French stat that I'm using is for a week, and this is only for three days. So you'd have to extrapolate it, and of course, the French population is larger. But even given considering those yeah. two factors, that it was way lower in the Netherlands than it has been anywhere else. Oh wow. But uh, I, I wonder uh, if you break it down, um, how much of the of these fines were issued by the police who sort of uh, caught these people walking outside, and how many were uh, were snitched? Basically, I think the 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 portion of the but but I, th- uh, yeah. but I thought the fines were only issued if the police actually go uh, encounter you in the street. Like first of all, they'll tell you to disperse, and it's only if you. You know, you give them a bit of lip or, or, or refuse that they give you a fine. So they give you a warning first. That, that, that's what I read. Oh, okay. So you wouldn't get a fine just for some somebody snitching on you. And, you know, it's not like you get a fine in a post because your neighbor has told the police that you were yeah. that you were standing too close to someone outside the supermarket. So Well, in Delft, we got this notice from the police that they, um, or they put it on social media, that, that they had gotten a tip that somebody was hosting a quarantine party. So they went to go check this out. But the, the party had like a... That, that was in my building. Oh, was it? 
Um, so, but the party had like a lookout person, right? So when the police turned up, the lookout person called and they shut all the lights <laughs> off and whatever. But of course, anybody who's dumb enough to host a Corona party is also dumb enough to keep hosting it after the police leave. So then the police left, they waited 20 minutes and then they came back. And of course these people had gone back to partying and then yeah. they busted them all. And so I, I mean, I don't know if that would count as like something that came in from like the tip line, because obviously like it had been reported to the police, I think ahead of time, that was the impression that I had gotten from from what they had said but yeah i mean i think those sorts of things like of course you want to be fining everybody because screw you like mm. yeah i uh, i absolutely love that the police of delft was complaining on twitter that somebody someone was snitching on their police work to these yes. of people <laughs> yeah. so it was a really snitchception yeah. going on it was snitch snitchception yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i think people really underestimate how much like how rule abiding the dutch are i mean i think that what I have sort of seen when I've been out is people being kind of like not thinking a lot about stuff as opposed to intentionally flouting the rules. So you go to the grocery store and like somebody gets too close to you. But I don't think that that's because like that person thinks, well, this is this one and a half meter off stand, like this is dumb. I think it's because like people sort of go on autopilot at the grocery store and like we've only been, it feels like an eternity, but we've only been doing this for like three weeks now. I mean, that's a big change for people. Yeah, yeah this was just to do with the layout of the supermarket. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to keep a meter and a half away from people in those narrow yeah. aisles. You just well, not, it, not at so. the AHA Excel here in Delft. <laughs> no, that's true. They've yeah. set up some stuff. But but the sidewalks and stuff too, right? It's like very narrow. So like I was out walking Truby the other day and somebody was coming. There was a cyclist coming and there was somebody coming on the same side of the sidewalk as I am with another dog, right? And on the other side of the road, there is no sidewalk. It's only like the, there's like a car path. So I had to just walk into the street basically. Then there's like oncoming traffic. So it's like, okay, what is less safe? Physically walking in a street where you shouldn't be walking or like should i be on the sidewalk in between this other person with a dog and like a cyclist and like you know you don't really know what the best decision is in these choices but i think if yeah. i had walked on the sidewalk you know i would have been within one and a half meters of at least two people which is like not great but otherwise like you know if you get hit by a car like that's also an intensive care bed in the icu well i gotta say i think probably walking the roadway is probably still safer than the cycle yeah that's true but it's always <laughs> safer here yeah, as we mentioned uh, last week, the North Holland towns of Purmerend and Beemster have uh, a special app uh, launched where locals can, uh, which locals can use to let the council know about people breaking the corona coronavirus rules. Okay. And the crime hotline Melt Misdaad Anoniem said it had uh, 90 reports of people breaking the law, mainly illegal drink da drinking dance or contact professions such as nail salons still accepting clients. I know of it is not my hairdresser just to be clear i do know of another hairdresser who is now doing at home cuts so like this person is going to their client's house to do haircuts which is which would also constitute a fine but you haven't snitched, you haven't snitched on them i haven't snitched no. i'm not dutch enough to snitch yeah so. who, who would have thought in 2020 we, we'd be reduced to running bootleg nail salons i mean that, that's how far we've fallen <laughs> isn't it talk about a dystopian future that nobody predicted The number of people who've died of coronavirus in the Netherlands stood at 1,339 on Thursday, and that was 166 more than the previous day. 
Hospital admissions also went up by 625, and a further 1,019 people tested positive for the disease, bringing that total to more than 14,000. It's known that the real number of infections is much higher, possibly around five times as many, because the Netherlands is currently only testing people who are seriously ill and healthcare workers. Health Minister Hugo de Jonge has announced plans to increase the testing capacity from 4,000 a day to 17,500 by the middle of April and 29,000 in the long term. Germany is currently testing around 50,000 people a day and has plans to ramp up its capacity further. So still a bit of catching up to do with other European countries. So are there signs that this is working, that the measures are working, Gordon? This was supposed to be the week when the shutdown measures uh, started to show in the figures um, because they were um, introduced two weeks ago and you have, you have to allow for a six-day incubation period and time for people to get seriously sick. Uh, Yap von Dissel of the, uh, the the public health agency, the RIVM, said that the number of hospital admissions and deaths were not increasing as fast as they would have done if the government had done nothing. I mean, it's difficult to look at the stats that show the number of hospitalizations and deaths are rising each day and see it as things getting better, but I think there are tangible signs of some improvement. Uh, if you kind of take the increase each day as like a percentage of the total, you can see the rate is slowing down. Um, the total number of infections is doubling every seven days now compared to two or three days at the start of the outbreak. And if you look at other countries, we're sort of at the same point in terms of slowing down the infection rate that Italy was at like seven or eight days ago. And of course, Italy was about uh, a week earlier in starting its lockdown as well. Um, and the number of new infections and deaths per day there has started to come down, although, of course, a lot of cases and deaths aren't being counted in the stats. Um, and there's also signs, if you look around the provinces, for example, North Brabant, where the disease first arrived in the Netherlands, um, the number of cases per day is coming down. And like the five smallest provinces now are recording less than 100 new cases a day between them, so it's not like it's penetrating any deeper into the country. But there's still some hotspots like Zoutholland and Gelderland, where new cases are increasing, and it just takes one new spike in a densely populated area, and the numbers could start going back up again. So, yeah, I can see the RIVM are saying that uh, there are signs that things are starting to get under control, but it's all very kind of tentative. I feel like the RIVM has this incredibly impossible line to walk, whereby if they say the measures are working and that things are, that, the, that it's that it's positive, that that means that people are going to want to go outside. Yeah. And if they say that there aren't working, then people are going to say, fuck it and go outside. So yeah. like, I feel like they're just in this absolutely impossible position as to how they present this data. Um, I also have to say, Gordon, you've been doing all this, like, I don't know, creating all these graphs and stuff, which I have just not had the mental capacity to think about any I, of these I numbers. I don't blame you. And last night, um, as I was trying to go to sleep, I ended up getting into this very intense discussion about why it seems to me in a lot of the American press that the Netherlands is getting a really bad rap for how it's handled Corona, mm. um, which I think is kind of interesting because nobody in the, the America can pick out the Netherlands on a map. Um, and... I was sort of frustrated and wondering, like, oh, am I missing something? Like, is it really bad here? And I just, like, want to think it's really good. And then you, at, like, 11.30 last night, had posted this graph that was sort of showing, like, kind of the rates of decrease compared to um, with these, like, all these colored lines on it. I know, yeah, you compared you know, to Spain this... and France, I think, because those are countries yeah. that sort of introduced their lockdowns around about the same time as us. I know that, you know, podcasts are a really great visual medium, and so it's really <laughs> fantastic to sort of reference graphs. Yeah. But could you just, like, sort of talk me through, like, kind of what you were doing there and what you were comparing it to and where you were getting your numbers from? Because 
it was literally the only thing that made me fall asleep last night. So like I, I found it very comforting and I suspect that maybe kind of your thought process might be comforting for our listeners. Uh, I don't know. If you, I mean, I, I mean, all I basically did because, you know, I'm, I'm not like a professional statistician or anything. I'm just kind of somebody who looks at numbers for a hobby. So I tried to keep it as simple as possible and just look at how the, the number of total number of cases and total number of people who've died increases day by day, because that's how you see, I think the first sign that the rate is slowing down. Obviously, you know, the raw number will keep going up but if the if the proportion goes down at some point you'll get to a point where the actual number starts going down so it's trying to anticipate if we were getting to that point um, and when you compare the countries um, crucially you see the number the rate is coming down um, day by day uh, probably I mean to, to, you know, in, to put it in context in the, in the start of the outbreak when nobody had introduced any kind of lockdowns we were seeing like uh, sort of typically like sort of 25-30% increase day on day in now positive cases obviously is a thing where we don't know the real numbers because they're not testing everybody but uh, later on you see the, that that kind of um, increase in the death rate as well and in the hospitalization figures um, so, so what you mean by that is if, if you have a 30% increase yeah. so on Monday you have 100 people who test positive yeah. or who die and on Tuesday you have 130 people who do kind yeah. of thing and that's like yeah. continuing to just exponentially that's, grow that's exponentially grow exactly yeah. so, yeah, so, so yeah. Monday your total is 100 and on Tuesday our total is 130 and yeah. then on Wednesday it's uh, you know, 30% on top of that which is what 150 uh, it's too early in the morning 50. to be to be doing yeah, more calculation fine. but <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah. you see that the number goes up quite rapidly so yeah 25-30% yeah. if you're going up by 26% a day you're doubling in three days that kind of thing so now we see the numbers and you actually look at back at the raw numbers you see we're doubling in about seven days and if you compare to Spain and France, um, I think those are two countries I focused on because I say they introduced their um, the ex the extreme social distancing and their lockdowns around about the same time that the Netherlands introduced this intelligent lockdown. You can see that they're down to around about uh, a daily increase of now of some between 8 and 10 percent. And so are we. So you see that the effect of the Dutch measures in the numbers is roughly the same as the effect in Spain and France, which sort of, I mean, it's very hard to draw conclusions given that the numbers are not totally reliable and we're at the early stages and things could go back up again. But it seems to me that the real, the real gains come from, um, you know, just stopping people gathering in large numbers. So things like football matches, crowded restaurants, um, you know, uh, concerts and that kind of thing. If you don't, if you stop just people who are traveling from large areas and clustering in a small space, that's where the virus really catches fire. The people going out in like sort of groups of two or three to the beach. I mean, it's not advisable, but it's not going to spread the virus anything like as fast. So I think that's why you see the measures that we've taken having a broadly similar effect so far um, to the more stricter lockdowns in um, other parts of Europe. Well, that makes me feel better. So hopefully, it makes some of our listeners <laughs> yeah. feel but, better. But but still, you know, I still you know, still say, you know, I'm not trying to say to people it's fine to go out in groups of five no, or ten. No, stay inside. Isn't. Stay, stay inside. inside. Just go to the shop and for your one more a day because that's really you know crucial in uh, in containing the virus. But at the same time, you see a lot of hysterical people who look out look out the window and see like sort of ten people in a town square and say, oh look, everyone's violating the rules. We're never going to beat this disease. But actually, ten people keeping their distance of two meters or one and a half meters, sorry. Is it's not going to make a whole difference to the to the final death toll. Yeah. So I think a sense um, of proportion is important here. And uh, is there some information about intensive care numbers? Because there are a lot of concerns about that. Yeah, that's the number everyone's kind of looking at. And we'll talk about intensive care, obviously, shortly when we talk about um, the political debate. The number of patients in intensive care is continuing to rise steadily. Uh, in the last couple of days, it's 
Possibly so down a little. We're now seeing just under 100 new patients in intensive care rather than just over 100. But that still means that demand is ramping up. It's, not, it's too early to talk about a falling trend. And intensive care specialists have been very clear that if we do hit the capacity, um, there will be some very stark choices to be made. Uh, Diedrich Commers, who's chair of the National Intensive Care Association, said he couldn't rule out an Italian situation in the next couple of weeks if the demand doesn't ease off. So, um, yeah, we're not out of the woods there, certainly. Yeah, so that's quite worrying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cabinet said in the weekly debate on the coronavirus in the Tweede Kamer on Wednesday it is doing everything in its power to ensure enough intensive care beds are available for patients infected with coronavirus. Health Minister Hugo de Jonge said he expects 2400 intensive care beds to be available by Sunday, of which 1900 will be reserved for corona patients. Because there, uh, a lot of MPs were raising concerns about uh, what about these patients that are not uh, infected with coronavirus and still need these um, intensive care beds. Uh, so 500 uh, of these beds will be reserved for them. Uh, meanwhile, the cabinet will continue to look for ways to increase the capacity in order to avoid situations where doctors have to make choices which patients will be treated and which not. The, that's the, um, those are the Italian situations uh, uh, Diederik Kromers was, uh, was talking about. Um, ministerial officials are currently working on a protocol which should be used when these situations uh, start to happen. MPs also asked the Jonge to make 3,000 beds available, but the health minister refused to commit to a fixed number. Uh, he did say, however, that the government is talking to German hospitals close to the border to see if they can take up Dutch patients uh, if that uh, turns out to be necessary. MPs um, have also asked the health minister to increase testing capacity. As we mentioned before, uh, they fear the numbers of diagnoses and tests published by the RIVM on a daily basis are not representative uh, due to the small amount of tests available. De Jonge said the health minister is gradually increasing test capacity, but this is difficult due to the current uh, high demand um, in the world. Yeah, go going back to the intensive care thing, I mean, it was interesting to see that the MPs are sort of, pick, well, talk about numbers of beds just uh, going up to like uh, around about 3,000. And uh, I read somewhere the intensive care specialists are saying quite clearly that 2,400 is kind of the absolute limit because there isn't the nursing staff to you know a nurse an intensive care bed is not just a bed it's also you need the medicine the equipment and the staff and there aren't the staff to uh, to you know to, to, to look after more than 2400 intensive care patients so it seemed a bit slightly a bit of kind of wishful thinking there by politicians sort of saying let's pick a number 3000 and just uh, get the minister to commit to it yeah, indeed. Um, uh, you know, what you say, the, the amount of nurses available, that's currently the bottleneck. Uh, we can't have more than 2,400 beds. So that, I think it's it's really smart to look over the border, to look at Germany, to see if they have any, any room. And um, I saw some statistics which uh, showed that the, uh, the number of uh, intensive care beds in Germany is, uh, relatively speaking, much higher than, uh, than, than in the Netherlands. So, yeah, I think it's really smart to, uh, to, to see if, uh, if, if, we can, uh, if some of these beds are available over there. But, yeah, if, if the coronavirus um, uh, turns out to be... Um, uh, if Germany will, will get hit by the coronavirus really badly, then, of course, they will not have any any more room left for for Dutch patients. Well, that's of the course, thing. So. They'll, they'll need the beds for their own patients. So maybe we'll yeah. have to do is yeah. Um, and, and of course, uh, North Rhine-Westphalia, which is the, the the part of Germany right next to the border, is one of the hardest hit parts of Germany when you look at the look at their maps. So that's not an encouraging uh, sign either. 
No, indeed. And that's why uh, I also read that uh, the Dutch ministerial officials are looking for, for example, Berlin or, or Hamburg mm. or further into Germany to see if there are some uh, some beds available over there. So, um, yeah, hopefully they will uh, figure something out um, uh, in time. I have to say that in a normal uh, in a normal time, the op-hef of the week probably would have been the interaction between Mark Rutte and uh, Cherry Baudet during this debate. This is a great moment. On Thursday, but of course, it's like we didn't even get it in the news because there's like just too much other stuff going on. But Paul, can you recap for us just like a, a short summary of what happened? Because it was so delightful. Um, so uh, the, uh, it was sort of leaked, or at least uh, the, the cabinet announced that they were starting to use um, social media influencers on Instagram to sort of um, uh, 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 spread the message about uh, social distancing among uh, younger people. Um, but these uh, influencers, of course, have to be paid because it's basically a uh, an advertisement uh, 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 campaign, of course. So um, it was sort of leaked that um, a total amount of 100,000 euros would be spent to these social media influencers. And uh, Thierry Baudet asked the prime minister to specifically tell him how much money these influencers will get paid. Um, but Mark Rutte refused that. He said, no, I'm not going into that. I'm, I'm managing a crisis here. I'm not going uh, not going to answer this question. I thought... In particular, <laughs> Baudet asked for Rutte to send him a letter, for there to be a letter. And uh, uh, Rutte was like, nay, this is... Yeah, and Faisal Martin did not Yeah, he said, no, yeah. we're not writing letters. We're managing a we're crisis. We're managing a crisis. It was, it, was kind of, it was a dismissive way he did it. It was just like, he, he, just, he just rattled it out very fast. Okay, I've said to say, well, one of the things I've noticed with this um, crisis is we've seen a lot of politicians talking very very fast in parliament yeah. it's been quite funny like so literally sort of sounding like they're talking on helium or something because yeah you know, uh, Kadir Arab has kept the times very short because she wants debates to be over quickly so she said like you got two minutes and they've had to sort of give out this huge big elaborate kind of very formalized spiel in like sort of 10 seconds flat. yeah that's that's uh, at the uh, that's at easy. the end of the debates when uh, when MPs can issue motions yeah. and they have um, yeah. two minutes to 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 speak out the motions that they want to issue uh, but if you have a lot of motions then of course you're gonna have to uh, speak a lot faster than you would normally do in order to issue all the <laughs> motions that you want. It's not that that's the first time MPs will hear about these motions. They will be distributed beforehand, so everybody knows what's uh, what's what will be proposed. But um, yeah. parliamentary protocol states that these motions have to be read out loud, so that's why um, they are speaking so fast. It happens more often, I have to admit, but you know, everybody is focused now on the Tweede Kamer, so all of a sudden this seems like a new thing. But uh, it, it happens it happens yeah. a lot uh, on other occasions as well. If you're enjoying our efforts to relieve your quarantine tedium and keep you abreast of the latest non-corona news and op-hef, but not sport because there isn't any, you can now back us on Patreon. We're very grateful to all the backers who keep us going and to show our gratitude we'll give new patrons a shout out on the podcast and let you ask us a question if you so wish. This week we have two new patrons to thank. J.B. Weinschenker describes himself as a mid-40s American looking to move to the Netherlands sometime in the next few years and trying to learn more about the goings-on in the country. Uh, well, we're kind of uh, doing our best for that, but to be honest, I'm quite often still learning about the goings-on in the country. Jay doesn't have a question for us, but thanks all the same. And we also like to say thank you to Shasha Zhu, who doesn't have a question for us either. But uh, if uh, you or anybody else who donates to us wants to ask us anything at all um, in the next couple of weeks, just drop us a line on Twitter or on Patreon. 
Patreon. Uh, so if uh, anyone else would like to back us and subsidise Truby's very expensive dog food habit, please go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Should we mention that uh, we had an anonymous benefactor who has upgraded at least one of the microphones in this situation? We should also mention the anonymous benefactor indeed who hasn't given us any money but has uh, very generously loaned us um, some better quality microphones which is why you can hear us in what hopefully is a crystal clear sound now um, rather than that kind of sort of muffled I'm stuck in the toilet uh, sound quality we had uh, for the last couple of weeks. So thanks to our anonymous benefactor we, uh, we appreciate it greatly. Dutch finance minister Wopke Hoekstra is now vying for Klaas Dijkhoff's position of Dutch politician who says the dumbest stuff after he told EU finance leaders to, quote, investigate countries which say they have no budgetary margin to deal with the effects of the crisis, even though the eurozone has grown for seven consecutive years on a day when Italy had 745 people die from the disease. The discussion was over the so-called Corona bonds, a debt instrument that the Italian prime minister called for the week before to help the financial solvency of the public health systems being destroyed by the pandemic. The Portuguese prime minister called the remarks repugnant, and Hoekstra was later forced to walk back his remarks, saying he hadn't shown enough empathy. Um, so c- could you explain us very briefly what these EU bonds really are? I can either explain it or I can be brief, but I cannot do both. <laughs> then explain it. Yeah, so bonds are like debt instruments. They're typically issued by countries or large companies. Uh, Basically, they pay the holder's interest and then eventually repay the the principal. During the 2012 Eurozone crisis, the European Union floated the idea of issuing so-called euro bonds. So rather than having the bonds be backed by a single country like the Netherlands or Germany, the bonds would be backed by the entirety of the EU. Um, Euro bonds, that's euro bonds with a capital E. They're not to be confused with euro bonds with a lowercase e. The former would be backed by the European Union. The latter refers to bonds that are issued in a currency external to the one in the country they're being issued in. So that's if a British company issues a bond that's denominated in US dollars, it would be considered a little e euro bond, just in case anybody is like Googling about this later. Just to muddy the waters further. It's very confusing. Yeah, indeed, uh, as, as nearly all financial instruments are. But uh, who is against, yes, so who is so fiercely against these, uh, these euro bonds and why? The so-called frugal countries of the Netherlands, Germany, Austria and Luxembourg, uh, they argue that it creates a moral hazard whereby fiscally irresponsible countries are being propped up by those who are more responsible. Belgium, France, Italy, Luxembourg, Spain, Portugal, Greece, Slovenia and Ireland have sent a letter to the EU asking for them to be issued. Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte said Corona bonds never on a call with EU leaders last week. So if there are no bonds, is the EU doing anything to help these countries? I mean, not if you believe the political cartoonists in the Netherlands who have been putting out some real savage uh, cartoons about how the Netherlands is not being a great neighbor. Uh, The Netherlands has proposed establishing an EU emergency fund to cover the immediate healthcare costs associated with the coronavirus outbreak. It's prepared to contribute about 1 billion euros to that. The European Commission presented the Coronavirus Response Investment Initiative last week. That's a 37 billion euro plan that supports public health spending in EU states. Um, And was that the only international dust? relations dust up this week no it was not uh the netherlands is one of one of 13 uh eu member states who have basically subtweeted hungary this week the joint statement from eu foreign ministers says they are quote deeply concerned about the risk of violations of the principle of rule of law democracy and fundamental rights arising from the adoption of certain emergency measures the statement is being seen as a veiled attack a thinly veiled attack on hungary where prime minister Viktor orban's two-thirds parliamentary majority has granted him indefinite and sweeping emergency measures power 
course. But the statement doesn't mention Hungary by name. Hungary's Minister of Justice told Dutch News in a statement that, quote, ordinary solutions and traditional approaches have manifestly proven inadequate in dealing with the crisis. I will note that Hungary only has about 400 cases of corona and a handful of deaths. Sports news, or rather, lack of total lack of sports news. I know it's the best kind of sports news. <laughs> uh, the Dutch Football Association uh, is still ploughing ahead with its plan to finish the current league season, even though absolutely literally nobody wants to. Um, the news hasn't gone down well with the clubs. Uh, Kern Verbe have insisted they're under pressure for UEFA to get the season finished. Uh, but after Mark Rutte clarified the ban on public events until June the 1st extended to football matches, including ones played by behind closed doors, the Kern Verbe came up with a new date of August the 3rd, which basically means playing football over the summer. And if you remember last summer, that would mean playing matches in like 37 degree heat. So understandably, the footballers aren't wild about that idea. Yeah, but then they can already get used to the temperatures in Qatar, right? That is quite that is quite true indeed. But although they've got the air-conditioned stadiums in Qatar, haven't they? The kind of ghastly planet-killing stadiums. The more practical problem for the clubs is a lot of players' contracts end on June the 30th. So players who are moving on next season or who are out of contract then basically are playing, playing for, for nothing. UEFA has yet to decide if it will let competitions go on beyond the usual cutoff date of the end of June. But in an interview with the Telegraph, Ajax's technical director, Mark Overmars, was pulling no punches. Uh, he said, quote, the Eredivisie is dead. The fun has gone out of it. I would compare UEFA and the Canfe Bay to Donald Trump a week ago. The economy seems to be more important than the coronavirus. Yeah, so that was a pretty blunt comparison. Um, I thought, and uh, since Overmars uh, spoke out, a number of other clubs have also said that they have no intention of finishing the season. They're not, they're not, you know, that Their heart's not in it. And I, it's really hard to see that either players or the fans have really got any appetite for playing football again it seems as if they're going to draw a line at the season and just cut it off where it is and start again next year if i was a club like i don't know vvv venlo or anything i'm not sure if they're even in the uh, eredivisie currently they are they are yeah i would just wait until all the other clubs have said that they will no longer participate and then you as this very tiny provincial club you are the only one left in the league which means automatically that you will win. You're the champion, yeah, and you go into the Champions League next year as well. Indeed, so yeah, that, that, that could be really smart, yeah. It's a good move. Can I gleefully ask, Gordon, if anything else has been uh, cancelled since I'm enjoying all this sports news? <laughs> You're enjoying this kind of absolute bonfire of sporting I events. Am. Yeah, the latest uh, the latest big um, international sporting showpiece to be cancelled is Wimbledon. Uh, predictably, the British media, when they when they heard this, immediately started talking about the Second World War. Of course, because that's uh, that's that's all anyone in Britain does these days. Pointing out this is the first time that uh, the big uh, showpiece event of uh, tennis and strawberries uh, has been called off since uh, for in 75 years. The French Open tennis tournament which is usually held in June has been rescheduled for September but the All England Club said that wouldn't work for Wimbledon because of the British weather and the fact that strawberries are out of season so the next Wimbledon Championships will be in 2021 I could go for some strawberries as long as you keep uh, one and a half metres away from anyone else who's eating them With the country's museums closed because of the coronavirus outbreak a group of thieves took the opportunity to make off with a painting by Vincent van Gogh the parsonage garden at Noonan in spring was one of a number of works the painter made of a kitchen garden while he was recuperating after a stay in Drenthe. It belongs to the Kronia Museum, but had been loaned to the Singer Museum in Laren near Hilversum and was worth an estimated 6 million euros. The thieves broke in by forcing the glass door, and by the time the security guards responded to the alarm, they disappeared with the canvas. The museum's director, Jan Rolof de Lorm, said he was shot and incredibly pissed off by the heist, so not mentioning his words there, he also sagely observed that there were lessons to be learnt about the security procedures. To rub salt into the wounds, the painting was taken on Van Gogh's birthday. He would have been 167 <laughs> years old on Monday, but uh, thankfully he didn't live to see the day. 
Do we uh, do we have any idea, Gordon, who has taken the painting? Art detective Arta Brand said the theft had the hallmarks of a professional job. Um, art thieves usually do their research thoroughly, he said, not just about the work they want to steal, but the layout and security of the building. Um, and they sort of rehearse with stopwatches and things so that they can get in and out in minutes. He also said there are usually three reasons for seeing a painting, either to sell it back to the museum or to use it as security in an underworld deal or as a bargaining chip by a criminal who's trying to negotiate a reduced sentence. So he says, basically, I'll tell you where this painting is if you let me serve, you know, uh, two years less. The Singer Museum was last broken into in 2007, when two thieves removed seven statues from the garden, including a cast of Rodin's The Thinker. The culprits on that occasion were caught and sent to jail for four to four and a half years in prison, which was later reduced on appeal. So uh, does the police have any leads currently? They say there have been a handful of tips, but they are still asking people to keep an ear out. You're fired, Gordon. You're fired. <laughs> You're fired from this podcast. You're fired. In something that isn't a corona measure but could very well be, the price of a packet of cigarettes or rolling tobacco went up this week. A package of cigarettes will now cost a euro more, taking the price to around 8.20 depending on the brand, and the price of rolling tobacco will rise by 2.40. Smoking will be banned throughout Schiphol Airport from yesterday, and the Dutch railway company NS says it will ensure all platforms are smoke-free by October, which they've already accomplished now because no one is on the trains. NS is also reducing the number of shops at stations which sell tobacco products. Some 22% of the Dutch population still smoke, and the National Preventie Accord, a government prevention program, aims to bring the number of smokers down to 5% of the population. Yeah, and they're trying to uh, have a smoke-free generation as well. Yeah, so if you smoke, quit. If you don't smoke, don't start smoking. Yeah. Um, And... Stay inside because you're going to kill us all through Corona yeah. otherwise. And obviously, if you stay inside, don't smoke because smoking indoors is even worse than smoking It's even outdoors. worse for you, yes. And if you're in an ICU bed, don't smoke because that's a terrible idea. It is good to see them sort of trying to deal with another thing that uh, puts a huge burden on the health service, but we yeah. sort of tend, not to, tend not to talk about. I agree. I think that's all we have for you uh, this week. Um this podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can now also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnews.nl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Molly Quell and Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. The only country that's not mad at us is Germany, so maybe let's not try to like make this. Although now we're banning them from our beaches, so they will be soon. Yeah, that's true. They're going to be real upset about that.